Yes, Lord, would you enlarge our understanding of the God that we pray to today? So, I used to be a teacher. A lot of my work involves scores and marks out of 10 and so on. So, I'm talking about prayer, and I thought, well, hang on. If I decide to score my prayer life, I doubt if I'm going to get half marks. And on a bad day, I might get zero. And on a good day, on a really good day, would I skate? Would I, would I actually get a pass mark? Would I scrape past the number five? Maybe not. So on one level, I'm really not greatly qualified to talk to you. However, on the plus side, I don't think I have ever read about or talked to anyone who thinks they've got their prayer life even remotely nailed. Um, I imagine that's how the disciples felt, actually, when they asked the question that opens the passage. Jesus had been praying, they'd been watching him, and they said, teach us to pray. They'd watched his prayer life over time, and they had seen the results in his extraordinary ministry. They could see a connection between Jesus' prayer life and the incredible results he got. And we're talking incredible, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, lepers cleansed, the lame getting up and walking, and once in a while, possibly more, we don't know, but the dead coming to life. That kind of showed he had quite a lot of good things going on in his prayer life. And I suspect that most of us would like to see the results he saw. Wouldn't you like those chains to be broken? Would you not love to see some healings? Wouldn't you love to see some miracles? Wouldn't you love a family friend come to Jesus? And therefore, wouldn't you like to pray a little bit more like Jesus? Wouldn't we all? Um, okay, so let's go to the passage. Well, it's about prayer. Because the context is the disciples asking, teach us to pray. And now they get four answers. It's kind of like a four-course menu, um, if you like. Um, some of us at New Wine went for a surprise meal that was supposed to be three courses, turned into five with the incredible quality of the meal. But um, I would love a beautiful meal like that with four courses. And here we are. We have them here. We're going to concentrate for the moment on the second course, and then we'll just look at the first, third, and fourth um, to see, because the context of, is very important. So, we're looking at the story. Um, and theoretically, stories are easier to understand, or sometimes maybe not as easy as we think if we're looking at it with Western eyes. So, in a way, this particular story is a very long question from Jesus. In effect, this is what he's saying. Can you imagine going to a friend at midnight, asking for three loaves of bread for a friend who's just arrived, and you've got no food in the house? And can you imagine the neighbor answering, you're kidding, no, the door is locked, my kids are in bed, I cannot get up and open the door and give you bread. It was a traditional kind of question where you expected the answer no. And in that culture, 
the answer would be no. They could not imagine such a thing. The reply would have been the exact opposite. They were expected to say, no, I cannot imagine it. It is impossible. Now, we find it really, probably, if we were asked that question, many of us would go, yeah, somebody comes and knocks on my door at midnight. I'm going to go, hang on, three loaves of bread. There's a 24-hour shop down the road. Besides which, your friend is hardly starving. They can blooming well wait till tomorrow morning. You're waking me up at midnight. So it's not an automatic no for us. Because we're in London. But a comparable picture in our culture would be very different. It would be something like this. So this is the question that Jesus would ask you, probably, if he was here. Something like, can you imagine your kitchen is now on fire? You cannot find your mobile, you cannot get to your landline, you call out to your next door neighbour, please call 999 for me and get the fireman. Can you imagine the neighbour says, well, it's very inconvenient, I've gone to bed, yeah, I think, no, no. And the answer is, we can't imagine it. We can't imagine someone saying no to that, because it is outrageous, it simply wouldn't happen. Well, that's what it was like then. And what I'd love us to do now is picture what it would have been like then in their Middle Eastern environment. And indeed, still is in much of the Middle East and some other parts of the world too. Hospitality was everything, and I mean everything. If you didn't have bread to offer, it was pretty much a calamity. It was rude. It was inhospitable. It was, in fact, absolutely not acceptable. So the excuses that he comes up with, my children are with me in bed. They probably all were, because they probably all were sleeping on one map. You see, typical houses, this is a typical house, a small, dark, one-roomed house. It probably had a raised area at the back, and the whole family lived there. And they were probably all sleeping, quite literally, together, possibly on one mat, because in the bottom half were the animals the chickens, the goats. There was only one door, which would be open all day. And at night, they would shut it. They'd put a massive great bar across through um, kind of, uh, what do you call them? Rings. Um, And so it would be very noisy to open it. And you would shut it to keep the animals and yourself safe. How and getting up would wake the children. So it would be a nuisance getting up. But the person asking wouldn't go away, and you couldn't let them go away because it would be so embarrassing for them, and they just keep calling out. And so this guy inside is going, if I don't answer, he's going to keep on asking all night. And to be honest, disturbing your children at night was a very small thing. They'd go back to sleep. You cannot let your neighbor down. Let's think for a minute, what is he asking for? He's asking for three loaves of bread. That's the ordinary, the bread, the food of life, such a basic, and in fact, so basic, it was a bit like us asking for cutlery because when you eat in the Middle East to this day, in many, many places, in rural places, you will get the piece of bread and you dip the bread in the food. It's how you eat. You don't use cutlery, you use the bread as cutlery. It's an echo as well, and this is very important, of the context. Because if you go back 
to point one that Jesus gives them, the first tasting in the menu, the Our Father prayer, he says, give us every day our daily bread. So this guy is asking for bread. He's actually asking for tomorrow's bread because he didn't have his three loaves. The guy inside has got his three loaves that are supposed to be for tomorrow. So he's actually asking for tomorrow's bread today. Now, I've, I've asked my collared friend over here what that really means. And, and he's sort of saying what it actually means is it's asking for some of the fullness of the kingdom today. So you're asking for the bigger things of the kingdom. You are asking for some of heaven today. You are asking, again, from our Father, your kingdom come, give us your daily bread. Now, there was a cultural expectation to be hospitable. So the actual important part of the parable, we haven't even got to it yet, In the translation that Sam read, it actually says, though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. If you look down, I don't know if you've got, if you have a church Bible with you, at the bottom it says E, it might mean, or to preserve his good name. Because actually, if you look closely, the whole of that sentence is about the guy in the house. So, I tell you, even though he, the guy in the house, will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, your rubbish friend, yet because he, he wants to preserve his good name, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. The word that there's been a little bit of confusion over the translation, I'm no Greek person, but I looked it up. Um, is anadea, and it only occurs once in the New Testament, and the root of that word means shame. So the shame, it would be shameful in the eyes of the community for that guy not to give the bread. It would be shameful because, guess what? If I don't give the bread... Where's my outside friend going to go? He's going to go to the neighbor. And by the way, the neighbors are all so near. They can hear this conversation going on. So they already know you're taking your time to answer. If I go to the neighbor, if my ne- the next neighbor, and ask for the bread, they'll say, heard you asking him. He's a selfish sword, isn't he? Sorry, God. But they're not. my reputation, me, the guy on the inside, is going to be absolutely shattered. I'm going to be blown out of the water. I'm in a small community. This is going to be my name wrecked. I'm going to look mean. So even though I don't really want to give the bread, I'm going to give the bread for the sake of my name. However, that doesn't tell us that's what God's like. What about God's character? Is it very strange that Jesus used a reluctant neighbor in the story? Well, a very common Middle East tradition in storytelling is to move from the lesser to the greater. So we start with the lesser, reluctant neighbor. If even he, that mean person, will in the end 
answer your request, how much more will God, our Father, answer you and give you your daily bread? And again, the context, we've already been taught now, we disciples, to talk to him as our father, our daddy, our loving parent. So this mean guy is going to do it. So sure as anything, God is going to do it. Now, the thing is, to the extent that you can relate the inside, the story about the inside neighbor to God, and obviously you can't because he's not very nice, but God also is very mindful of and protective of his reputation. He is concerned to preserve his good name. This is utterly biblical. This is actually about, this whole story is about the holiness and the integrity of God. It's about God's character, this story. The person to whom we take the requests. We need to know properly the character of the guy that we are going to, of this sovereign God, this holy God, who does not break promises. God cares very powerfully about his reputation on the earth. For his namesake, we can pray for his namesake. So, not because I love you do I answer your prayer, actually, although I might, but because I want to keep my good name, I will answer you. A God of integrity is required to keep his promises. And as the song says, all your promises are yes and amen. It's so biblical, this importance that God holds of his name being held with integrity that, I haven't checked this out, but I've read, that there, he, the words, for my name's sake, appear 15 times in the Bible. And um, I did find a couple that are very powerful there's one in Isaiah 48 where God's really fed up with his people. But this is what he says. For my name's sake, I will delay my, I'll hold back my wrath. For the sake of my praise, I hold it back from you. For my own sake, for my own sake, I do this. How can I let myself be defamed? I will not yield my glory to another. And in Ezekiel 36, he says, I have concern for my holy name. Why is he concerned? It's not vanity. It's because what happens if the Gentiles in the Old Testament, what happens if the non-believers see a God who's not faithful to his promises? He has to preserve his good name and answer prayer. Because he said he would. Because he said he was a good God. He has to be a good God. His name is important. And actually it's important because he loves people and he wants them to trust in his character. And the song says, all your promises, by the way, are yes and amen. 
That's a scripture that comes from 2 Corinthians 1.20. And I'm going to read it to you because if we're going to pray and pray in faith to a God who answers prayer, we need to hear these kind of things. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us. Why? To the glory of the Lord. I'm going to read that again. And there will be something in it that touches you, whether it's about the promises or the answers or glory. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Christ, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So the third part of Jesus' answer is ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you because everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. This is where persistence really does come in because how it's written in the original is keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking and you will get an open door. So there's your persistence for you. And then the very last bit, I'm going to read the version from the message to you because uh, it kind of is quite a gut reading. Don't bargain with God. Be direct. Ask for what you need. This isn't a cat and mouse hide and seek game we're in. If your little boy asks for a serving of fish, do you serve him with a live snake on his plate? If your little girl asks for an egg, do you trick her with a scorpion? Bad as you are. And in those days, they would have thought of themselves as inherently bad and understood that a lot better than we do. You wouldn't think of such a thing. You're at least decent to your own children. So don't you think the father who conceived you in love will give the Holy Spirit when you ask him? This is another. Let's go from the lesser. That's you lot. That's us lot, actually. Go from the lesser. Go from even you guys will answer your children and give them exactly what they want. Even though you are pretty shower of a, of a lot, even though if you guys will do that, what about God? He will, and he will what? Give the Holy Spirit when you ask him. I love the fact that he'll give the Holy Spirit when you ask him is the end of this little bit on prayer because I feel it's like um, a double thing you can do. We can ask for the Holy Spirit, and every time you ask for the Holy Spirit, you will get it, him. You will get him every single time. This is a prayer you will get. Now, when you ask for it, every time. That's amazing. So here's a prayer you can ask, and every time you're going to get the answer. I think there's another thing, because it's in the context of prayer, your prayers can be joined with the Holy Spirit. When you've asked to be filled with the Holy Spirit, he will pray through you. So it enables you to pray prayers much more in line with God, much more power 
and much more. Do you know what? God's asking God. It's going to happen. Now, so it's really, really important, God's character. He's a good father. That's how it started, father. I think some people think God's great and holy. Some people have got that bit. But he's got other important things to do. You know, God's not approachable that way, and he's got bigger things to pray for. He couldn't be concerned about my little details, but actually, our father. The truth is, our parent, our loving dad, has a passion and a tenderness for his children. He feels what he, we feel. Now, if your upbringing was in any way problematic, it can be really hard to relate to that image of a, a dad or a father. And it makes it difficult for you to get how desperately God loves you and how he feels your pains and desires and longs to give you what you want. I think um, if that's you, it can be helpful to think instead of someone you love the most, a child, a brother, a sister, a wife, a husband, a mother, who you would really do almost anything for. And when they're hurt, you feel it. You're sad for them. You would do anything. And I think that will begin to help you understand that's how God is about you. So I'm a mum, and I was going to share some very mundane things, actually, about um, what I would definitely do. I'll share one mundane thing and one not-so-mundane thing. I would literally do anything. I have two boys, aged 39 and 36, so they're really actually men, obviously. But if you're a mum, they're still your boys. Anyhow, I love them so, so much. I would literally, I think, do almost anything. But in the mundane, and I'm not great at doing practical things for people, which a lot of people in the church know. It's not my thing, really. Um, I need to work on that. So when Harry, will, the 36-year-old, he'll just turn up. Turn up. He's a pediatrician. He'll turn up at 8 in the morning. Mom, I, really, I, I, know you're too bu- I know you're too busy, but I'd really love a big breakfast. So I'll go, yeah, no problem. And I go out, luckily we have a shop quite near, I will go and buy all the things we don't usually have, like I'll buy eggs, I'll buy bacon, I'll buy bread, I'll buy baked beans, I'll come back and we'll make him a huge breakfast because he wanted it and I want him to have what he wants if it's okay. So that's a mundane thing. That's a, if you want something from God that is fairly every day, he really wants to give it to you. So, there are some much, much deeper things you're going to want from God as well. So, lots of you know that that my older son has three children, the oldest of whom is uh, multiply disabled through hospital error. And I want to tell you two things. I want to tell you about the heart of God and what I learned about the heart of God through that. On 
possibly the worst day of all our lives. When Sam was born dead and they revived him and they didn't know if he was going to make it. And we traveled with my son across London because uh, Sam had to go to an ICU. And his mom had to stay where she was. She couldn't even go with him because she needed a procedure. And we drove my son behind the ambulance to the hospital. And I let my husband and him go in and talk to the consultant. And then when they came out, they came down to the car. And James, as he got in, he said, Mom, they're telling us we might have to turn, get ready to turn him off, turn off all the machinery. It's looking very bad. And then he said, and the thing is, I know if Sam survives, it's going to be unbearably hard work and very difficult and very painful, but I think it'll be more painful the emptiness if he doesn't make it. And two things happened. One thing happened straight away, and I didn't share this with James. God said to me, if they want him that much, I will give him to them. That was the first thing. Second thing is it shows you what a father who's only known and seen his baby for like an hour would pretty much lay down the rest of his life, sacrifice the life they planned for a child who's going to be incredibly difficult to look after. More importantly than that was the picture I got because, and I only saw it later, I was looking at my son. I would have done anything in the world to sort his problem. And I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. And James was looking at his son, and he would have done anything in the world to fix it, and he couldn't. When Jesus died on the cross, his father could have said, get off the cross. It's fine. Get off the cross. You're my son. I can't bear this. And he didn't because he loved us so much. And Jesus could have climbed off the cross at any minute, and he didn't because he loved us so much. So I got a minute glimpse of what that sacrifice is really like because I would have changed everything. And God wanted to. But for us, he let his son be tortured, the worst torture there is known. That is the loving God that we pray to. Jesus wants to change the way we think about God. God doesn't mind if you phone him at 3 a.m. He doesn't mind if you come at midnight and knock on his door, knock on the door of heaven. He is looking for people who want to do that, who will persist in doing that, who know who it is to whom they pray and why he wants to answer.
And we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. We can't do anything without God. God is always saying, you can't do anything without me. Why are you even trying? So we can't pray without him. So why are we doing it? Why are we not saying, Holy Spirit, come, will you pray with me? Will you pray through me? We're insane. We just, we just have a request and we go, oh, come on, God. And he's so gracious, he sometimes does answer those. Ah, helps. But actually, if we just go, Holy Spirit, now will you help? Just add, add in the Holy Spirit because he's got what it takes and we really, really, we got nothing. And then... What an incredible partnership between God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and us. Because we're praying in the name of Jesus to the wonderful Father with the power of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Why don't we do it more? We're insane. We're insane. We, can, we could move mountains if we just knew that we have this God that is longing for us to understand how much he wants us to come, how much he wants us to keep going, but how much he wants to answer because of who he is.